listening to the Buy Sci-Fi Podcast. I'm your host, Carrie Pack, and this is your home for queer-positive speculative fiction. Welcome back, everyone. Um, I, I know this episode is a little bit late. Uh, I had the best of intentions, but got sick right after Christmas and lost my voice. So it was impossible, even though I had days where I felt good enough to do this, I could not actually speak to you. Um, and you can hear, actually, I think maybe a little bit in my voice that I'm still a little raspy. Um, <clears throat> but I am re- I am so ready for 2019, ready to go. I've got a great episode to bring you. One of these interviews I recorded way back in November, and I've been dying to share it with you. It's with um, Brianna De Silva of Females in Fantasy. She has her own podcast, and I absolutely love it. Um, if you haven't checked it out, be sure to do that. Um, and also, a dear friend of mine and uh, one of the founders of the queer sci-fi group and webpage, J. Scott Coatsworth. Um, And we talk about so much. Matter of fact, I think it's one of my longest interviews to date, um, just because he and I would just get into it and not and and forget that we were talking strictly about speculative fiction. I think actually, we even talk about uh, the TV show Schitt's Creek, which I absolutely love. It's not spec fic at all. It's a contemporary uh, family comedy. But if you like queer characters, it's a great one. Um, And I think when when Scott and I talk about uh, the character of David, I think I miss I think I misremembered how he referred to himself or how he was referred to by other characters in the show he kind of um well you'll hear it later but he talks about his own uh sexuality in terms of uh liking red and white wine and all kinds of all varietals of wine essentially uh and then later his father character who's actually the actor's father in real life um says that his son is pansexual so this term is actually used on the show it's really great representation uh, the actor is a gay man in real life, so he's playing, you know, uh, fairly true to what he knows. I love that a gay man chose to, because he's the co-creator of the show. Um, Dan Le- Levy uh, co-created this with his father, Eugene Levy. Um, and that he actually chose to um, create a pansexual character when he himself is gay. I think that's really great representation, and it shows kind of the open-mindedness uh, that's starting to come to the forefront in a lot of media. So even though it's not spec fic, I highly recommend it. Hilarious show. Uh, my good friend, F.T. Lukens, who is a spec fic writer, uh, had been recommending it to me for a long time, and I'd been putting it off because it sounded dumb. It is kind of dumb, and that's the beauty of it. Uh, it's a great, great show, and it's actually very heartwarming for it being about wealthy people being awful uh, when they lose all their money. So I highly recommend it. Um, but that's enough about me. Uh, I Hopefully you've had a chance to, over the holidays, check out my new release, The Lights. It was a Christmas-themed horror novella um, where the town's uh, kids get possessed by Christmas lights, go on a killing spree. I've actually got the audiobook of that hopefully coming soon. I recorded it myself. Uh, I'm hoping the audio quality is re- re- good enough. Um, but I'm really proud of my narration, and I hope you'll check that out if you're into audiobooks. It'll be available anywhere. You can get audiobooks like Audible or Kobo. Uh, scribbed any of those it should be on all of those platforms pretty soon um and i look forward to knowing what you think of it so drop me a review uh hit me up uh either through twitter i'm at carrie pack or you can uh ping me by sci-fi twitter uh it's at by sci-fi um and i'm really looking forward to hearing what you think of that hopefully um i think my next thing that i'm gonna work on is gonna probably either be 
contemporary or historical romance, which is kind of a, a stray from the theme of our podcast, but whatever. You guys know I'm into lots of different stuff, so hopefully you'll bear with me if I decide to veer off from speculative fiction for my own writing, but doesn't mean I won't keep talking about it, promoting it, uh, and telling you about great authors and other books that I love. So please keep checking it out. Um, I'm hoping to have another new podcast up for February. I've got um, at least I know of one guest for sure. I've got Alex Harrow coming up. Uh, they are a great great debut author. Uh, I've known this person for a while. They do a um, uh, a chat on Twitter about queer speculative fiction. So um, just a really great member of our community. And I'm really looking forward to doing that interview. I'm actually going to record that later today once I finish editing this. So you'll be getting that fairly soon. So enough of me talking. Let's get right into the interviews. First up is uh, Brianna De Silva from Females in Fantasy. My first guest is Brianna Da Silva. Uh, she hosts a podcast called Females in Fantasy, where she interviews women authors of science fiction and fantasy who write about kick-ass heroines. It's a great podcast. If you're not already subscribed, you should definitely get on that. Um, but she covers all sorts of issues related to female representation and sci-fi, fantasy, spec fic, all that stuff. So we got to chatting and realized we should probably uh, get together and chat on my podcast. Um, but she's also a poet and a writer in her own right, and I'm very happy that you are going to be on my show, Brianna. It's so exciting. Oh, thank you so much for having me on. Um, so let's talk about female uh, queer rep in, in spec fic. What is the number one thing you would change if you could? Oh, snap. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm just going to get right to it. <laughs> that's such, such a big question. The number one thing, so if I were to say specifically for like, Queer, are, we, are we saying the number one for queer or the number one for women or for both? Or <laughs> Yeah, kind of where those two things intersect. So female, non-binary, okay. you know, representing the queer spectrum. What would be the number one thing you think we should just absolutely change right now? Well, I think I would answer that differently if I was saying the one thing we should change like objectively versus the one thing I would personally want to see changed. <laughs> um, so I'll start with the selfish one. The one that I would personally want to see change is I would really like to see like more of uh, like more um, diversity in like the ways that people present as queer because there are so many, you know, there are so many stereotypes that we have like specifically for queer women too. Like there are these kind of assumptions that we make about like what it what it looks like to be a lesbian or what it looks like to be bisexual or or what have you and um and i'd like to see like more of the nuances there like the fact that you know there are super there are super feminine queer people and super masculine queer people and like and there's just and and there's so many different types of experiences like within every individual identity <laughs> and so i just would like to see that challenge a little bit more um I guess in general, actually, maybe I would say in general, that is one of the biggest things. But but I think also we need more um, people that are able to tell stories from their own experiences, too, um, because sometimes I think those stereotypes come from people talking about someone else's experiences without having really fully researched and like listened to people. Um, so bringing more queer creators into the room um, is also something that would help a lot with that. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think it's funny, um, uh, an author friend of mine, Killian Brewer, we, we talk a lot about how, um, in specifically if you're talking about the MM fiction world, mm. um, where the pendulum really greatly swung toward the alpha male, right? So to go against yes. the stereotype. And, you know, my friend Brew, he's like, well, you know, what about the, the you know, the effeminate gay guys like me that, 
you know, want, want their own love stories, you know? So now it's kind of gone, gone in the opposite direction. So it's kind of like that pendulum has to kind of swing back mm. a little bit more. So yeah. And that, and that directly relates to having own voices, authors, you know, people that have that lived experience writing in that, in that genre, because you know, if you, if you're, if you're not realistically writing it, you're going to end up with a stereotype, you know? Yeah. And, and I would say personally, like my take on own voices is that those kinds of perspectives are very valuable, but I also don't think necessarily you can't write about something that isn't your experience, right. but you should recognize, you know, that you like that you are going to have more blind sides to that. So you're going to have to put in like extra effort if you want it to be good if you want to write those characters really well and really authentically um and something that and it's going to be something that people can relate to that is their experience you're yeah. going to really have to go the extra mile to to make sure you're really listening and hearing and getting feedback from people um yeah and that's just kind of good writing so <laughs> well and i and i think that ties in too um i was i was actually right before uh you and i started chatting i was actually listening to one of your recent uh podcasts um where the you titled it all stories are political and, oh yes, and I think that, in a nutshell, is kind of why it's important to, if you don't have the lived experience, to do the research, is because, especially especially when we're talking about queer rep, you know, uh, any any intersection of marginalization too, these are political, highly political stories. You can't separate the political from the personal in those cases, because all stories are political, right? Um, when we talk about gender roles, do we have, I guess, an obligation? as fiction writers to represent gender roles in, in a variety of ways? Mm, yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I would say yes, especially since gender roles are so deeply ingrained and they kind of come not questions. Those are one of those things that um, is kind of like an underlying assumption that we have when we're, when we're writing a story um, or even sometimes when we're just interacting with people. Um, if we kind of have internalized that certain gender roles are the norm, even if we consciously might think, oh, that's not universal, um, it, it really takes like uh, thinking kind of, hmm, how do I say this? It really takes like some extra effort in um, questioning those assumptions that you have naturally. Um, and, and I think that's important for stories because stories are usually, they do two things in a society, right? A story's they, on one hand, they reflect the values of a culture. And on the other hand, they also like project the values of a culture. Mm -hmm. So it's, it, it tell it's on one hand, it's an expression of this is who we are as a people. And it's also, it tells the next generation subconsciously and it reinforces certain messages. And it's kind of interesting because if you look at like past cultures, you know, from like times in history and the stories that they tell, it says a lot about their values. Um, and it can be kind of like, whoa, that, that we wouldn't even tell that kind of a story now because we see things differently. Um, but yeah, so, so I would say for sure when it comes to gender roles, um, that's definitely something that, uh, fiction offers a lot of room to explore and to question and fantasy and, and space and science fiction, especially because, um, <laughs> the sky's the limit pretty much. Um, there's so much more freedom um, and flexibility to explore things with speculative fiction. Yeah. And, and it, it can even, you know, beyond even projecting it or showing us what's important, it can, it can create, um, mm. stereotypes and gender roles and things. And I, yeah. I, I, I always think of, um, uh, you know, um, Nichelle Nichols on, uh, the original series of Star Trek. 
and that she wanted to quit and that, you know, the reason why she ended up not was because that she was representing, you know, her, her race, her gender, you know, and all of those things ultimately she, she deemed to be important. But then when you hear about actual black female astronauts that were inspired by that, Mm, oh my goodness, how, how people were able to see themselves beyond the, the roles that the traditional gender roles they were seeing that to me says everything about the importance of speculative fiction, right? Yes. I I just had a little bit of some goosebumps there because that is like (laughs) one of my favorite examples of that. It's so powerful to think about that, that like literally people were going to space because they were, they were seeing a character on the screen and like, Oh, I can be that. Um, yeah, it's super powerful. (laughs) Um, what that, that I guess too brings, brings up when we, I think now, you know, if you look at the 60s, obviously that was an important role for for young black women to see at the time. And now I think it's important for us to go beyond, I think, the gender binary in in speculative fiction um, Mm. to represent other things that haven't been seen uh, traditionally in speculative fiction. Do you do you think that that's that's something that we're moving toward or? I hope so. Um, that's definitely, that's something that <laughs> I, I, I the, one of the things that's a little bit limiting for me about having a podcast called Females in Fantasy is that sometimes I'm like, you know, I'm kind of limited to talking about uh, issues just for, for, for ladies. Um, and, but there's, but there's so much more when it comes to representation, that I guess other people <laughs> need to be talking about in their own spheres. But um, yeah, going beyond uh, the gender binary and um, just because there's so much lack of like, there's so many misunderstandings about what that means. Right. Um, and fiction can be a really great way to help people see. Because because the thing is, is like, I mean, we all know like really cool and powerful, like recent phenomenon, I would say that happened whatever within the last 20 years or so was the fact that like our society moved so fast in um, acceptance of gay people. And it was largely because of television shows and because of seeing them, seeing people on the screen and being like, Oh, they're just people. And, um, and I really think that we need to continue to do that for, um, queer people of all sorts of different stripes, transgender, uh, people in particular, I'm very concerned about, um, where our country is headed right now with the way that, um, people are not, instead of moving towards acceptance, it seems to be that there's a, a pretty heavy backlash against trans people. Um, and that really worries me. And so I want to see a lot more stories um, for, for people that are trans and not just like within the binary too, but trying to help people understand a little bit more um, what it means to be non-binary. And yeah, there's just, there's just so much uh, that we can do there with stories. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, I think there's a lot of potential there that, that really... I don't see being used as much as it should be. And I, I, I personally, as a, as a creator of, of speculative fiction, feel the, the obligation a little bit. I mean, I, I won't ever say I'm obligated because I can write whatever I want. Right. But I do feel the need to help swing that pendulum forward, you know, that because I do think of what has happened in the, even just the last 10 years that made, you know, mainstream media um more accepting of gay characters specifically gay characters not queer not bisexual not transgender but specifically 
gay characters, specifically yeah. male gay characters. Yes, um, I was about to say that. <laughs> especially, uh, especially male. Yes, gay, not not lesbian, not yeah, gay, yeah. Um, cisgendered gay men, and for the most part, white ones. But what caused that to happen was representations in media. And mm -hmm. so I think that as creators, we kind of have to understand that we carry the uh, a little bit of the responsibility for how how that goes forward. And, you know, me, little independent, you know, Carrie Pack writing her, you know, novels that don't have a large readership, not necessarily going to have that much of an influence. But I think the more that those of us that do and are doing that work, um, you know, it has influence. It, trickle, it trickles up, I guess. Um, yeah. And I think about like one of the big, I think, um, this isn't, this isn't spec fic by any means. Well, I guess maybe it could be fantasy in a way, but, um, the TV show Glee was one of the things I think that thrust things forward quite a bit. Like you look at what TV was like before that. And then after that, and there's a big, there you see a, a, a distinct delineation in how gay characters were treated on TV. Mm. And, and, and that, that to me, you know, that says something that, you know, a show that was a kind of a phenomenon in its own right, but also had a, a strong representation for, you know, gay characters. Um, they weren't always so kind to their other queer characters, but, mm. um, but yeah, anyway, I got off track a little bit there, but all of that, I guess, kind of to say that, yeah, I think in, in spec fic, I feel, I feel a responsibility to keep striving for more diversity all around just to show yeah. it because it needs to be there. Yeah. And, and that kind of responsibility, the one thing that, that I will add on that is that I don't want anyone that's a writer to ever feel like when we talk about these things that we're like pressuring them, right, <laughs> you know, right. cause, cause I had, I, I had, um, I had a, a, a conversation with someone on, on Twitter, um, after I think it was the, um, the episode with April Daniels when that one came out. And, uh, I was talking about like how we need more trans representation. And, um, this one person was like, but why? <laughs> he, he, I think he thought that it, it was like, we're trying to pressure him and he was pushing back a little bit. And I was like, no, no, no. Like if that doesn't inspire you, then, you know, you don't, you shouldn't have to feel obligated to, to, um, you know, to write about people and experiences that, that aren't interesting to you. But, um, it should be more like, uh, an expansion rather than a restriction. Like you should write these things. It's more like there are so many more options right. of people and experiences that you can write about. And if that excites you, cool. Like it excites me. So, um, yeah. So I just, I just like, would like to add that in, in case, cause sometimes people will, oh, will yeah. misinterpret the, the tone and just want to make sure that it's clear that it's an invitation. It's not an obligation. Well, and yeah. And, and I, that's why I said, I don't want to say obligation, but yeah, I think, I think too, if you, if it doesn't inspire you, then you probably shouldn't either. It's uh, there. You don't want to have mm -hmm. token representation either. Yes. Right. So yes. it has to be authentic, uh, either authentically lived or researched, you know, and, and to remember that, not every story is going to be a monolith for the entire community. Yes. Um, one of the things that I've seen so much uh, discussion about on Twitter, um, I don't know if you've, if you've kind of seen this or not, but um, The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, the discussion going on around that. I've only heard kind of on the periphery. I, I hear there was something problematic, but I don't entirely know. Well, I didn't look into it. I, a lot of the, prob the problematic stuff comes from the world that it's set in, I think. Um, because there's a character on there, Susie, who presents, um, th this character has so far, uh, responded to she, her pronouns, um, and has presented, um, at least in terms of how other characters react to them as female. 
um, mm-hmm. as as a woman. But uh, the the character is played by an actor whose IMDb page has he him pronouns in it, and I think uh, identifies as non binary. Okay. Um, but there's been the character gets bashed and certain other things and so it raises that question i guess too is is the is there such a thing as bad representation um and how do we because i'm i'm a but again i'm i'm gonna preface this by saying i do not identify as non-binary or transgender i identify as cis, a cisgendered woman um so for me i'm looking at it going but this is giving good representation for people who aren't familiar with you know someone who isn't on the gender binary um, it might not be the best representation because the character gets bullied, but the people that are bullying this character are seen in the wrong. Um, mm. But then again, the other side of that argument is that do we need to see more gay bashing, queer bashing on television? Mm. And I would also say no to that. So how, do you do you kind of um, – how do you feel? Because I feel like it's a really nuanced argument. So how do you feel yeah. about – I think it's a nuanced argument too. I feel like there isn't necessarily like a right opinion here. I like, I could hear someone like, I'll say what I think and I could hear someone say something different. I'd be like, okay, I respect that. Um, for me personally, I, I feel like, uh, I kind of feel like no rep is better than bad rep. <laughs> I would, I would not, I don't like to see, um, you know, negative associations with, with people being, um, hammered. And also, and also it's kind of like, when it comes to queer rep, like so many of us are tired of the, the tragic queer stories and, so, and, you know, and seeing like, we want to, we want to see things that are more empowering. And, um, I would almost rather like see a character that wasn't queer, but I was just like internally, <laughs> what's the phrase for that? When you like, um, Oh, you like pretend that they're queer in your yeah. mind. What is it? Uh, when you have like you a hand cannon about it, hand cannon, that's yeah. exactly, I would rather that than like see someone that I know is supposed to be, um, yeah. queer or, or specifically if it's a, a you know identity that I have like I'm bisexual so if it was someone that was bisexual or sapphic in some way and it was like and it was just like really terrible and, and sad and depressing I'd be like I don't want to see this right um so that's how I feel about it I just I would rather um you know I want to see more of the positive uh representation and I don't really see much value like if I'm see- like it's not just seeing people it's like seeing them authentically that's that's important yeah. Or seeing them as negative because they're, for example, like in the, you know, 1950s and like, um, I mean, just throughout like early Hollywood, there was a lot of there were there were characters that were gay, but they were intentionally in negative roles. Like there was the there were the rules that they either had to be a villain or they had to die off or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I don't think that was helpful at all. <laughs> so no. I, I would rather. Yeah, I'd rather see positive rep than than. Um, uh, yeah, I'd rather, I'd rather yeah. see no rep than bad rep. Than, than bad rep. Yeah, I, I I tend to agree with that. I think um, it's hard when there's when like you're you're <laughs> you're dehydrated, you're out in the desert, you know, thirsty, and yeah. and you get I'll something. Take any water. Right, I'll take anything you can give me. And I feel like that's kind of been my reaction to this character on the Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. Um, because I love the character. Like I want to, I want to, I want to hug her or them and be like you are my child and I love you. Um, and, and I appreciate, I appreciate that it is authentic in terms of the characters getting bullied at school and her friends are protecting her. Mm. At least she's got friends protecting her. But at the same time, I'm like, does she have to be bullied? Like, can't we just, if you're creating a world where you have Satan worshiping witches, like, Mm -hmm. hmm, can't the non-binary character just be like, come on, let's just have her be, you know? 
Um, yeah. But there's other issues with the show too. So it's, it's, you know, it's, it's a minefield. Let's put it that way. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but, but I love the character and I want good things. I want good things for Susie. So, um, you know, it's, it's a, I'm, I'm very torn and the acting and some of the acting and writing is horrible. So it's kind of like, <laughs> okay, let's move it. Let's move on and find something better. But mm. yeah. Um, so what are, what spec fic are you kind of really into right now? Do you have anything coming up that you're really looking forward to or? Oh boy. So, um, I'll answer that in two parts. One, I am currently on a mission to read every single thing by Ursula K. Le Guin. <laughs> Um, I am, uh, I'm only, uh, two books into that, into that lofty goal. <laughs> You've got a lot to get to. Yes. I've got a lot to get through. Yes. But, um, I, I'm, you know, I'll, I'll take my time doing that, but I'm really, really enjoying her writing very like, I'm, I'm just like sad that I, you know, that she died before I could have like met her or anything, you know, it was like, Oh, I was alive mm-hmm. at the same time as this great author. Um, and, uh, I only like found out about her a little bit before she ended up passing. So um, trying to trying to soak up all the all the cool creativity and wisdom from her from her stuff um, and then but I'm also let's see something I'm looking forward to is um, Girls of Paper and Fire <laughs> that was my most recent guest on the podcast but I'm also really excited for that book um, sounds really good um, that is by yeah it's, uh, coming out in November so I guess when this when this um, episode goes live it will have been out for a while but. Yeah, that's what comes to mind. <laughs> I can totally relate to your Ursula Le Guin, uh, you know, your regret over that. I feel exactly yeah. the same way about it. And I think mine actually comes from a place of, I've been a, a voracious reader since I was a very small child. Um, yeah. In fact, lamenting to my father when I was like four years old, I'll never be able to read. Like, that's how much of I wanted to read as a kid. Um, I was four and dying to read. But I, mm, I had a... I can relate. Yeah. I had a... Um, unfortunately was very snobbish against a lot of genre fiction, I think, mm-hmm. um, as a kid and a teenager. And so I'm just now discovering some of the classic like science fiction fantasy, even some of the classic like romance and stuff, because that was like, oh, I can't read that. That was just not, you know, like oh, <laughs> smart people don't read bull, 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 bullshit. Oh yeah. People, smart people read all kinds of things. Um, and lots of smart people read science fiction and fantasy. So there's a lot of really smart science fiction. Let me tell you. Exactly. <laughs> Exactly. So it took me, yeah. unfortunately, until an adult to realize that. So shame on younger me. But um, so, yeah, I, I totally relate to your lament on that one. I was late to that game, too. So um, <laughs> I feel yeah. you. So if uh, listeners wanted to get in touch with you online, where's the best place to find you? Oh, yeah. So I'm extremely active on Twitter. <laughs> um, my my uh, handle there is uh, Brianna underscore Da Silva. Um, that's pretty much where I'm most active. I'm also on, I have a blog that I update occasionally and that's just BriannaDeSilva.blog. Um, but yeah, and then, uh, my podcast is on iTunes and, uh, SoundCloud and Google play. So yeah. I definitely, I love your podcast. Like I told you when you, when you, when you, you and I were emailing back and forth about scheduling this, I had listened to the one that you did with, um, Victoria Schwab. And just was mm-hmm. like, this is so great. I love that someone's out there doing women in fantasy and and that. So I'm I'm stoked that you're filling that niche. So I'm glad we're both out here doing our thing. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, we're both out there filling some important niches, aren't we? <laughs> yes, yes. More more women and more uh, queer people in fantasy and science fiction. Yes, please. 
Yes, please. And 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 well represented ones as opposed to like we'd rather have nothing at all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we have high standards, oh, don't we? Man, you know, I mean, I'm I'm working. I and I feel like too uh, personally, I I'm still working at making sure that my representation is as good as it can be. You know, I, yeah. I wrote a, I wrote a book, um, that wasn't specific, but, um, had a lot of different, uh, representations of bisexuality and, and gender uh, representation in it. And I felt like that was really important because it was like, I didn't get that example. I grew up mm-hmm. thinking I'm, I'm too, I'm too masculine to be a girl, but I'm too feminine to be a boy. And like, I just, I don't know where I fit and I feel awkward and weird and, and, you know, the more representations we have of those things, I just all around, I just think it's good if we can see people being not following, you know, those self, those societally imposed gender role things. (laughs) Yeah. Especially, (laughs) I know what you're saying, especially I think for young people too, because like that is so influential when you're like figuring out who you are. Um, I know for me personally, like being able to look to, to characters um, and to say, oh, okay, I'm kind of like this person and not like this person. And like, that was really helpful for me to kind of like figure out, kind of kind of figure out my identity and not just that, but to recognize that like who I was naturally was okay. I think that was the main thing. And I don't think I really got that fully in- until I was an adult. Like I was still, uh, I still thought I was supposed to be more girly, I suppose. I'm still um, working on it. Yeah. Daily. <laughs> I, I just I remember even as a kid though it's not like I didn't have the role models my mom used to say to me she as a young woman would be like I didn't understand all the women wanted to hang out in the kitchen and talk about recipes and the guys were talking about like hunting and riding motorcycles and I wanted to hang out with the guys like I don't want to talk mm-hmm. about cooking and 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 you know shopping and I'm like yeah I hear you you know I mean I don't want to talk about hunting motorcycles but I knew what she meant like I, yeah. I agree I don't necessarily want to sit around and do the traditionally expected girly things so i love it when characters show me another side and or or might be interested in some girly things but also you know want to go like murder some nazis or something i don't know (laughs) yeah Yeah. right and it's all it's all valid that whole the whole spectrum of femininity and masculinity it's all beautiful and it's all needed so we want we want to make sure people aren't being put into boxes and are free to be themselves because we need everyone as themselves <laughs> everyone can kick ass and everyone can wear nail polish that's kind of like my life philosophy like if they want those to. things are for everyone yeah so like <laughs> yeah do, do you and and you know whatever yeah <laughs> fully agree <laughs> it's been great talking to you thank you so much for coming on yeah likewise it's been so good thank you for having me on my next guest is Jay Scott Coatsworth. He is the author of the Sky Thane series and the founder of the queer sci-fi website slash Facebook group slash awesome thing. And the reason why this is called by sci-fi and not queer sci-fi. Um, how are you doing, Scott? I'm good. How are you? Not too shabby. Not too shabby. So um, tell us a little bit about your Sky Thane series. I One of the things about the series that I think for me always jumps out as the, are the covers. I think the covers in this series are just gorgeous. So first of all, who's your cover artist? And then maybe tell us a little bit about um, the books themselves. Sure. Uh, it was um, Anne Kane did the first two covers. And then uh, Anna Sikorska came in and did the last one um, because Anne was not able to, to uh, do it this time, unfortunately. But um, yeah, she came up with the concept. And um, the original cover for the Skythane uh, book um, was one I just fell in love with. And we worked it over it a little bit, but it just was about perfect. And it went back to Dream Spinner, and about a week later, I get this really kind of um, 
sorry email from Ann saying, um, we can't use this cover. I'm like, why? She said, well, it looks too much like one of the other books um, that isn't the same publisher. And looked at it, and I'm like, okay, I can kind of see that. So we'll, we'll make some modifications. <laughs> so I went out, and she said, well, let me look for a model that I like. It's a different model that maybe will give a little bit different presentation. And I found I really liked and submitted it. And then came to find out that was actually the model that was on the other cover. <laughs> we just had done something with it, so like it didn't look exactly the same, but it was the same model, the same pose. So we ended up finally compromising, and it, um, I was really happy with it because um, if you've read the books, there are a few things in the cover that you kind of look at, and you're like, oh, that's what that means. Mm. You know, so there's some, some kind of hidden symbolism in there, which is really cool. And she, I chose her because she has that really neat kind of a layered look in her work. You know, it's not just a flat picture right. with a text over it. And I, I was, I've been really happy with the covers, and I'm really thrilled about the, um, the Athani cover, um, the latest one. So tell us a little bit about the series, too. So it's kind of a weird, well, not a weird story, but kind of a long story. It, it started out as something that I wrote back in the early to mid-90s. And I had uh, just uh, come out of the closet not too long before that as a gay man. And it was really the first thing, uh, the, the very first scene is, is a sex scene. And it's not an explicit sex scene, but it's a sex scene. And it was the first time that I had ever written anything like that in my fiction. You know, before that, when I was in the closet, all my stuff was, you know, your kind of mainstream, straight characters. And I had a habit back then of writing uh, two or three or four scenes and getting really into something and then, like, having no plan for it and it just, like, dying away. And I have this whole, like, lots of writers do this whole kind of um, folder full of stuff that's started, not finished. So... When I decided to come back to writing and I was looking for something to work on as one of my projects, I was looking through all my old stories and I found this one. And it had this image of this half world. So, you know, a world that literally is like you took a world and sliced it in half. And it really stuck in my head. And I, I read the story again and I thought, you know, of all the things that I have in this little drawer, this one actually sounds pretty good. The writing's decent on this, <laughs> which, you know, I mean, you, you need that distance, like when you're, you're too close to it as a writer, yeah. you know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's hard to tell if your stuff's any good or not. And I thought, this one, actually, I like this. I, I forget, forgot that I wrote it, but I like it now. So I, I started writing it again and kind of had an idea and got about two-thirds of the way through, and then it kind of petered out again. And then uh, it was time for uh, the NaNoWriMo that year, and I had never done it and never even knew what it was until that year. I, I thought I had all these friends that were winning it, and I thought, wow, how did all those people win that thing? <laughs> and then, you know, of course, found out that it's just, you know, you have to write 50,000 words of a story in one month. So I thought, I'm going to go back and I'm going to start over again. And I kept the first couple scenes of the story and reimagined it. And by the end of the month, I had the finished uh, first book of Sky Thane. Um, it's wing thick, um, which I love, which is, you know, characters that have wings, um, but not angels. Um, and it just kind of, it's a story I wanted to tell in layers. I wanted to kind of peel back the onion layers bit by bit. So in the first book, you get some of the story. In the second book, you get some more. And then by the third book, you find out a lot of things that you didn't know going in. Um, are you familiar with James Hogan's work, the, the Giants books? So they're, they're sci-fi, and he started off with an astronaut um, visits the moon, and they find this guy in a spacesuit on the moon who's 50,000 years old. Mm -hmm. And that sets the stage for the whole thing to, like, over the next five or six books, just to, like, every book he peels back more of the onion. So I really wanted to be that experience where the reader's, like, constantly experiencing new pieces and, and, you know, finding out new things they didn't know. Yeah. That's always a good, um, I think that's always a good approach too, with, you know, you're kind of trying, you're like you said, peeling back the layers. Um, especially when we're talking about spec fic, right? Because I think that's literally the writing itself is all about layering stuff. 
And people expect, I think, trilogies and, and longer in spec fic more than they do in, in other um, genres. Yeah. Um, and are, are also are more open to the idea of continuing characters going through a series than like in your standard contemporary romance. Um, but I also wanted to give everybody kind of a nice stopping point at the end of each book so that there wasn't this. I mean, there's, there's a little cliffhanger, but there's not like everything gets resolved in the story and the plot of the book. And so you get to the end of the first one and you feel like, ah, OK, I, I've got a resting point here, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But I do tease you a little bit at the end of each one. I like that, though. You know, I um, <laughs> it was funny. I, I wish I could remember. I want to say it might have been Chuck Wendig was tweeting about this the other day about not having uh, endings that are completely pat and very, you know, everything's wrapped up in a nice little bow. And, and you know, I just did that with my um, horror novella that I released that I wrap it up. I mean, the, you know, the, the terror is finished, but but there's right. always that open ended like, hmm, why was that really? You know, you kind of want to leave people guessing and thinking about it. And I think particularly when you're dealing with spec fic, you want to leave some unanswered questions because isn't that what it's kind of about? It makes you think, makes you wonder. Exactly. And I always loved it in the movies when you'd like get to the end and of course the bad guy was was gone or whatever was resolved. And then at the very end of the movie, like is the last like, you know, drip, drip, drip of, of there's the little bit of the substance that started off the blob in the first place. And it's still there and it's going to come back, you know? So it's like, there's that still kind of like, Ooh, at the very end. Yeah. Right. And that, you know, the, you got to leave room for the sequel is what I always say. Like you've got to have, <laughs> exactly. you know, return of the killer tomatoes, right? You just can't have or that, that guy you thought was tomatoes. dead. And guess what? He's not dead. You know, right. Right. His eye opens in the very last frame or something. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. It's uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's crucial. And, and I, and, and especially with, with sci-fi and fantasy, I mean, you have to, you have to, mm. you can't, you know, and then people, you're right. People do expect the trilogy who started that trend and why I have a duology and I just want people to know it's done. It doesn't need a third book. <laughs> yeah. There was a, um, Stephen Donaldson, um, book. It was the mirror of her dreams duology is mm-hmm. mm-hmm. fantastic books. Um, but yeah, I was, when that was the first time I ever ran across a duology and it was really weird it's just Steve- because I was like, I was, you expect trilogies. I mean, that's like, yeah, a trilogy. Yeah. Yeah. Is uh, Stephen Donaldson, the Thomas covenant series. Yes. Yeah. 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 Yes. Oh. Yeah. I picked up the first book of those um, at a bookstore at Walden Books. I think he was like five or six rad at the time yeah. in the 80s. And I used to, I would ride my bike. It took me about 45, 50 minutes to get to the bookstore on my bike. I got the first book. I got home. I read it. I hated it. I had to read the next one. And <laughs> because, you know, the whole thing with the antihero and all this stuff. Oh, yeah. He's definitely and, an antihero. Yes. Yeah, so I got on my bike. I rode down. I got the second one. I got home, read it, hated it, had to read the third book. So <laughs> there's something about... Um, just the writing was just so compelling, you know, it just kept drawing me back into it, even though I really, really did not like this guy. That's a hard thing to do is to create a character that is compelling, but also not lovable. Right. And I I think I, well, I had other issues with, with the series that the character being unlikable was not my biggest problem, but um, Mm. you know, it's, it's unfortunately the whole plot of the first book of the Atomics Covenant series is, is basically centered around a rape and you're kind of like, yeah, exactly. that's great. Awesome. Um, so, exactly. And that was the thing that was like, you, you really hated him because of that. And it's like, you know, he, even in his condition and everything for him to have done that. Yeah. Right. Now that, that, that's what I think made him, that that's what set him up as being such a horrible person in the first place. Oh, definitely. Definitely. I mean, even, I think, I, I, I think, Though there were so many other things, I, and again, it was written in a different time, so it's not like I mean, I even just saying Walden books just dated this whole conversation. Um, the fact that I know. we know what it is and have shopped in one, you know, but what's um, Walden books? <laughs> what's Walden books? Yeah, 
Um, back in the day, we used to have bookstores in the malls, y'all. Uh, <laughs> and Scott and I apparently both remember them. Um, that's yes. where I bought. That's where I bought all my VC Andrews books back in the day. Was at the Wall Okay. Books. Yeah. Um, yeah. With, did you ever read the late, later Covenant books um, with Lyndon Avery? I did not. I did not. I could, like I said, I couldn't get past that first one. My husband was like, "You should read these. They're really weird." And I'm like, "I like weird. Okay, you know." And I, I just I was like, "Nope, I'm good. Thanks." Yeah, there was there was a middle series that had all the like the world was like changing every ten minutes, and you know the bad sun and bale sun and bale fire and everything. But the last series I thought was really good, and he actually had a female protagonist, and she went into the world um, trying to find him to basically save her son who was autistic. And I thought that was. You you kind of had the same really great world building and everything, but without the um, the negative stuff in the original books. Yeah, but yeah, the the world building was fantastic. I mean, that definitely. Yeah. I mean, if you like strong world building, those are those are good. But um. Oh, I love strong world building. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, uh, I love it. I had um, a guest on a couple months ago, uh, Jennifer Sitaway, who did. I did a workshop that she taught about world building, and I actually um, kind of. Uh, used some inspiration from that for a lecture I did for my, uh, for a class I was teaching this semester because we were talking about world building and it kind of what we were talking about earlier with the layers of the onion, you know, where you have to think about so much in the depth of the world to the point where right. you have to understand, um, like where, well, like I, I, one of the examples I used in my class was the TV show, the good place. Have you, do you watch that? Yes, we're just actually watching the second season right now. Yeah, I love I love that show, and uh, and you know, on the surface, not very sci-fi, but it totally is. I mean, it's very mm -hmm. it's very much supernatural in in terms of the world itself. But right. um, we were talking about you know um, how religion plays a role in that show, and uh, it, you, you, on the surface, you go, well, it doesn't, but it does because the lack of any one religious um, interpretation of the afterlife getting layered on that uh and then i compared it with um a completely non uh supernatural show like bob's burgers right which mm -hmm. has no has nothing you know um no religion in it except that they celebrate christian holidays you know they celebrate christmas so it's like you have to think about how do each one of these things religion politics money how do all of these things work in my world and you can and it is it's like onion layers you you peel one away and then you see the next level of it you know i love that kind of stuff yeah, in my other series, the uh, Liminal Sky series, um, it actually, the name of it came from um, a sermon that the, the minister at our church was giving, and he used the word liminal, mm -hmm. which meant, I, I didn't, I wasn't familiar with the word, but I looked it up, and it meant basically like to be kind of on the bleeding edge of something, or on the edge of society, but it's basically to be kind of out at the edge. Um, and I ended up playing a lot in that with religion, and I, I hadn't planned to, but one of the characters ends up being um, religious, and he's a um, Catholic evangelical, which is apparently a thing in my future. Um, <laughs> but that ended up playing out through the entire series in kind of a subtle way in terms of there being maybe an afterlife. And, you know, you have these people that end up transferring into like an AI situation, but then at some point they move on from there. Mm -hmm. And it's I leave it open because I don't want to name it. Just like you said, the, with a good place, it's not called heaven. It's not called hell. Mm -hmm. um, uh, it's more like maybe there is something beyond our experience here and maybe different religions have kind of tapped into that idea but maybe like you said it doesn't really belong to any of them right yeah yeah I love it's, that it's a fascinating thing to play with yeah with the, with, the, with the work have you done anything with that with, with religion in your work um, you know I haven't um, I kind of 
Um, my world building always, I, I the, the first thing I ever attempted that needed world building was um, in the present tense, that duology. And um, right. I really just kind of put some layers of sci-fi on top of reality. So characters all have um, existing um, modern day characteristics. And so uh, a few of my characters, there's references to that they celebrate Christmas and stuff like that. But I didn't really dig into it that much because I wasn't building a world from scratch. So it's like, it's only as it's in my mind, they were, you know, of, of religions and, and various backgrounds that we would currently have. But I'm, I'm mm -hmm. ashamed to say I did not do as much world building in that as I wanted to. I focused so much more on the time travel aspect and how that applied mm -hmm. that I didn't think through some of the other things. Thankfully, I was dealing with pretty much a contemporary setting, so I didn't have I, I had a lot of reality to, to pull from in my mind. So it made right. so I mean like and that and that's that's I think that's kind of how it works too. If you're if you're layering and you're doing like an urban fantasy, you're layering those that, you know, uh, your fantasy on top of what you know. So Right, because the whole thing is basically, here's the thing you know, and then here's the weird thing you didn't expect. Exactly, exactly, yeah. which in my case was time travel. So I, <laughs> you know, I just, the, the, I mean, the most I did was I looked at, um, I kind of took um, basically what we know about um, faster than light travel, which is which is time travel, um, and, right. and in terms of how we understand and know time on Earth, and right. um, kind of combined that with um I took a lot of liberty with what uh, mental illness does to our the synapses in our brain. And so kind of made it where, okay, time travel would be possible if your brain synapses fired faster than the speed of light, <laughs> you know, which they do oh, anyway. Okay. But, um, <laughs> but I think that, you know, um, that kind of thing is where I, I put it on. And it was so f just that little tiny put a cap on the head of the, of the world. <laughs> you know, I didn't really dress it up at all. Right. Well, each, each story needs different things, too. Right. So, like, some of them need really intense world building and some are really intense characters. And, I mean, it just really depends on the story you're writing. Oh, definitely. And, I mean, you know, even, like, in something, even in something contemporary, you're building a world when you're setting it, if you decide to set it in a small town or, you know, you set it where you live or you set it in France, you know, and no matter where, even if it's current, you're still having to build the world of your characters and and there's, right. there's always a fantasy element because it's fiction, right? right? Even if it's not fantasy, it's got it's your <laughs> fantasy. It's it playing out in your head, and you're putting it on the page. So if you're making up a town, you've created a world, you know. Like um, right. Uh, my horror novella, The Lights, that just came out. Um, I basically picked up my town and plunked it in some place that where it snows because I think snow is creepier than ninety degrees in sunshine. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. You know, but I'll give you that. yeah. So I mean, that that was that was my fantasy. Like, what if it snowed here? And also, there were murdery children. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. that. That's a great elevator pitch. <laughs> I'm gonna have to remember that one then. I'll have to. I'll have to what go back and. There were murderous children. Yeah. Um, I, I'm setting myself a challenge right now. I'm I'm trying to break into CIFWA, the, the Science Fiction uh, Writers Association, mm -hmm. and you can do that by you know being a huge selling author. Um, Oh, well, huge, basically selling $3,000 of a book in one book in one year. Um, but you can also get a lower level membership by selling um, books in, or stories, short stories in the, the magazines that are part of their overall, what do you say, milieu? Yeah. <laughs> and to pay a certain amount uh, per, well, per word. So I'm trying to go that route. I'm writing some short stories this year. I'm going to try to do one a month and then just start cycling them out through until I get something. And 
the one that I'm starting with um, is set in San Francisco um, post climate change. And so I'm basically trying to write a 7,000 word story because that seems to be kind of the average length they like um, with massive world building. And oh, wow. uh-huh. I mean, I really want you to drop into this immediately and feel like you are in this place and like just get the, you know, the full force of it. Um, and it's really challenging because I'm also trying to, you know, put in a decent little plot and a twist and everything, get all that done in um, basically, uh, what, a twelfth of what I normally write? Right, right. <laughs> I mean, I've done shorts before, but but it's really I'm trying to make it something um, not just kind of a character study or a real simple thing, but really something that feels almost like a movie, like just got has a real cinematic feel to the the world building. Yeah. I, I mean, I think that's true too. A lot of the, you know, a lot of high fantasy, a lot of science fiction that you read, you know, the world building that has happened, you don't always, it doesn't always end up on the page, but that, but right. very often the author can tell you like, oh yes, that, that character had, you know, pancakes for breakfast or something that detailed, <laughs> you know, and, and, but that, that makes it authentic. It makes it feel real if you've given it that kind of thought. And, and you know, I'm I'm in the midst of grading stuff from the end of term, and I'm reading through um, television scripts. They were writing uh-huh. original pilots. Uh-huh. And it's, it's always the error ends up being two things, poor dialogue or a lack of world building. Mm-hmm. And I think that bottom line, I think, is what any any writer who's struggling, it's because they've either not put the time in on the world building or, you know, the dialogue's probably not working for them. I think that's two big things that we encounter, all of us as writers. Do you know uh, Damon Swade? Yes, I do. So at uh, the Dream Center retreat this last year, he did a, um, a thing on Romancing the Stone. Mm-hmm. And so he basically played Romancing the Stone, and then he narrated throughout the whole movie for us. And a lot of it was that kind of stuff. It's like, look, you know, you're in her apartment and there's a calendar on the wall and there's tissues on the counter and there's, you know, and he says, just by these props they put in the scene, mm-hmm. you learn a lot about her character and about her world that she lives in, who she is exactly, you know, and they don't have to have somebody come up and say, oh, you're a sad woman who's, you know, just lost her, her boyfriend and this and that and the other thing, you know, it's all built into this whole world you're seeing. So you're yeah. just kind of soaking it in as you go. And that's how good writing should be. I mean, you should be walking in and you shouldn't be telling people what's there but you sh- there should be symbolism and there should be you know things worked in in little bits of pieces as you know they're walking by them and interacting with them and so you soak up that world without ever having to be told what that world is yeah that's very true yeah just just where what's on the walls where are the tissues that kind of thing yeah <laughs> exactly yeah well, one thing i'm this the story's making me think of is you know, we do the annual course sci-fi the um flash fiction contest mm-hmm. and we make people tell stories in 300 words and I have done it a couple times. It's very difficult. And it's what I'm kind of realizing doing this story, even though this is quite a bit longer at 7,000, is that you really, even at that length, you have to be very careful with the details and the things that you put into it. Everything mm-hmm. has to have a place. Everything has to have a reason. And if it doesn't have a reason, it should be taken out. Right. And that's really hard for me because I'm an additive writer. You know, I write a story that's 60,000 words, and then I rewrite, you know, run through and do another edit. So I have a hard time taking stuff out. <laughs> right. Yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm the same way. Like, you know, and, and when you're writing shorter, you don't have the time to be like, okay, my character is very meticulous about how he does everything. So I'm going to show him eating breakfast and lining up his bacon perfectly. You don't have time for that in a short, you know, <laughs> you've got to get it across faster. You don't have time for him to fry bacon. Like, it's just not going to happen. Yeah. And I so want to fry the bacon. You right. Know? <laughs> yeah. And I want to, I want to talk about how it smells. Like, come on. You right. Know? And that yeah. sizzling sound and then the grease as it hits his skin, you know, and yeah. Now I want bacon. 
no. <laughs> Oh, uh, so, so yeah. yeah yeah we're we're world building right now um yes yeah no I, I, you're right i did a I, I did a submission for the flash fiction and it was like you start taking out like words here and there to make sure it's the right you know to get it under 300 and mine was exactly you spent a lot more time you spent just, a lot more time actually working over the story than you do writing the story yeah oh yeah absolutely absolutely and I would imagine that's that's especially true. You're writing something that you're doing a lot of world building on. You price you'll price you know have more words of, of notes probably than you do of actual story <laughs> when you're all said and done. But that'll make it a better story. I mean, I'm sure it will. Yep, and like you said, there's always like the stuff off page that you know or that you've thought about that you know kind of informs the story. But you don't have to cram everything in the kitchen sink in the story. You know, your reader should have that feeling that there's more behind it. Yeah. Just like, you know, the Lord of the Rings, the Silmarillion was behind it, you know? Right. Yeah, all right. That, that stuff, that history, that content. But that was not in the story except in little bits and pieces. And you should kind of have that in the back of your mind. That way when you have super fans and they want to read it, then you can publish it for them. Uh -huh. Be like, here. <laughs> and have some strange enjoy. for it. Yeah. Um, so uh, what inspired you to, to uh, start Queer Sci-Fi? Was it kind of... You felt you felt there wasn't there needed to be a place for this, or was it just your own love of sci-fi or something else? So, yeah, when I first came back to writing, I, I had written a novel in my twenties uh, and sent it out and got rejected all over the place, and I stopped writing for about twenty years. Um, and when I first came back to it, I wanted to get back into things, but I wasn't sure quite how. So I had submitted some short stories to some of the, the romance publishers that my husband had been reading and, and knew about, including Dream Spinner and. Um, but I wanted, I liked doing the romance stuff, but I really wanted to do more of the sci-fi stuff. And I was looking for communities online, and I found a couple. And um, there were, were some interesting things going on, but there was nothing quite like what I wanted to really see, which was an active group of people that kind of got together all the time, sort of my own um, version of the Algonquin Roundtable, you know. Mm -hmm. um, this is a place where writers could come and talk about writing and talk about you know, what they did and kind of support each other. And so um, I started the site and, and then uh, convinced Angel to come over and help me uh, rent it. And then after that, uh, Ben Brock as well. Um, but I really wanted it to be a place just where people could get together and talk about the nitty gritty of the writing and also just um, celebrate their successes and cry about their losses um, when they, somebody rejected them or, or whatever else happened. And so that it just kind of grew from that little seed. Um, and I've been really happy with um, how it's gone. Uh, most people have been very supportive of it and have become kind of a part of the extended community. And just like any community, they may not always stop in. You know, we may not see somebody for six months or a year, but then their next book comes out and they stop by and they're back in again. So, right. yeah, it was just it's something that I, I didn't quite see anything exactly like it. And I wanted to build something that would be that kind of community. Yeah, I absolutely, I mean, I'm obviously a member. I've, I've mentioned you several times on the podcast because every time someone asks me about the buy sci-fi name, I'm like, look, queer sci-fi was taken and I'm not, I'm not in the habit of, of stealing people's uh, hard-earned titles. Um, but now I may have to, I may have to ask you for your help though, because my story that I'm writing right now, mm -hmm. it's, I have, I've had one or two, but I've never really explored them. I've got a bi character in the story Yeah. and I'm always a little bit reticent to write that just because. I don't want to go the route of, you know, look, they're bisexual. You can tell because they're sleeping with everybody. Um, right. On the other hand, I don't want it to be so subtle that like, you know, oh, yeah, and there was this guy one time, you know. Right. Or there was this girl one time. So it's, I'm, it's hard. I really want to see. 
yeah, I want to see more by representation uh, because I want to see more of everything across, across the career spectrum. And I want to be a part of that. But I want to make sure, just like when I did my first non-binary character recently, I had two beta readers for that. And I did my first deaf character and I had a couple of betas. I want to make sure that I get the details right. Right. And that it just that it feels right. I don't want it to feel like it's, you know, oh, that guy's trying to write that character and he has no idea what he's talking about. Yeah, so I Yeah, you want it to be like a layer of the onion as opposed to you smashed, you know, some garlic on the end of the onion and like, here, this is my, <laughs> this is my queer representation. You know, I, that's that's always the trick. And I think that's true of, of, you know, even authors that identify as bisexual is how do you address it? Um, you know, uh, F.T. Lukens, uh, who has um, uh, a sci-fi trilogy with a bisexual lead and then a... Um, soon-to-be duology with a bisexual lead, uh, they, one of them has a big coming out scene and the other one's just kind of like mentions that he also, you know, likes girls and, and, you know, um, she, she even, she, and, and FT identifies as bisexual and messaged me and was like, how do I put in there that this person, you know, so it's like, even we question, like, how do you approach it? Because it's, it's very, um, there's so much with, um, everything is so fraught with, I don't like labels, you know, and that kind of thing. And then, but, but everyone's hesitant to put a label on it because the term itself is inherently sexual because the word sexual is in the name. Like it's not inherently sexual, but the term feels like it is. Makes it that way. Yeah. And I kind of prefer bi to bisexual, you know? Right. And, and, and so like, even me, like I'm out, I'm completely out, but it's not like I go and I, I teach and I, and I don't mind that my students know I would flat out tell them if they ask, but I don't come right out and say it because I feel like I'm making something I'm making it a thing that doesn't need to be. It's just weird. It's a very strange line for me to walk. And, and as someone who is in a, um, heterosexual presenting relationship, it's right. very, it's very much like, Hey, look at me. And I don't, you know, and then there's the stereotype of, Oh, you're just in it for the attention. And it's like, Oh God, my life <laughs> is a stereotype. So yeah, it's, it's, it's a hard I don't know. And I don't know that, I don't know that I've gotten it right. You know, I feel like. Well, I imagine you would know when you're, when you're reading it, that just, it, it feels like it feels makes wrong. sense or it doesn't. Yeah. You know, yeah. And, and my, my thing was when I wrote um, Girls on the Side, which is not sci-fi, but it has multiple bisexual female characters, that they all represented that in a different way because yeah. that was part of why I didn't readily identify my own, ident- my own sexuality for so long was because I thought it meant you had to have like a 50, 50 split and that you had to have been in a relationship with and had sex with a woman. And I don't know, there were all these different things. And I'm like, it doesn't, it isn't an either, or it isn't a 50, 50. Uh, it isn't a only male, only cisgendered uh, men and only cisgendered women. You know, it, it, it is a spectrum just like everything else. And, and, Man, I'm just looking forward to the day when when we really just kind of like it's a spectrum and you identify however you identify and people just accept it. Like that's. <laughs> yeah, I think everybody's like when I came out as gay, everybody has to figure out what that that label or those labels mean for them and where they kind of live in that space. And just because somebody else lives in a certain part of that space doesn't mean you have to, mm-hmm. even if you share that label, you know. Um, I'm I'm also a big proponent, at least in my own writing, of writing characters who just happen to be. Right. And so, you know, I'm not writing the big coming out stories anymore, although I did that at one point in my life. Um, but, you know, you're transgender. And at this point, that's where you are in your life. And that's just a piece of you. Um, not to diminish it, but just to say, I think there's a hunger out there in a lot of these communities to just see people like them that aren't struggling with that identity, that just are 
Right. You know, I'm this is who I am. And while I'm being this, I'm also serving ice cream. I'm also flying a spaceship. I'm also, you know, in the military, I'm also whatever. I but have a hagnail, you know, yeah. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Things, it's like, yeah. you know, and so uh, not that there's still a place for our stories that, that are the origin stories or the coming out stories or the struggle stories. But I think there hasn't been enough um, for a lot of these communities of stuff that just is those characters just, you know, in life. Yeah. And so that's kind of where I'm, where my big push as a writer is, is to write lots of different identities, but just to make them a part of the tapestry of what I'm writing about. Yeah. It, and, and I think, well, okay. So a good example of where I stand on it, where it makes it so murky for me, uh, have, this isn't sci-fi either, but we're going to talk about it because it's my podcast <laughs> okay. and I can do what I want. Have you seen the TV show <laughs> Shit's Creek? Yes. Okay. So David, David. right. Yes. Uh, is bisexual. They never use the word. They never say, or, or pansexual. The point is he says Pansex, he likes, yeah. basically the way he describes it is that he likes both red and white wine. <laughs> Um, uh-huh. but also he's, he's had a, I think he says he's had like a rosé that used to be a Chardonnay or, you know, whatever. So like he basically alludes to that his definition of, of his sexuality, wherever it is, includes all genders, not just cisgendered men and cisgendered women, basically the way that he words it. And I both love and hate that. Right. Because I love that he mm-hmm. is who he is. And, and, and the whole, the whole joke comes from everyone. Is, and I say joke loosely but that everyone assumes he's gay because he has a very stereotypical right. gay way of presenting himself but no he's you know he his first re- sexual relationship we see on the show is with a woman um and then mm-hmm. and then men so it's like it, so i love it and hate it because i love the way that he's presented he is not a stereotype he is not um he's happy and content with who he is but then of course we put it in euphemism and whatever although it's a hilarious joke why can't we just say the word right yeah. So I'm always torn. Yeah, I like this. I, my, my old school part of me wants to claim him as part of my community. You know, it's like I want him to be gay because mm-hmm. I want him to be part of my team. Um, and it's just it's been, been over the years I've kind of learned that, you know, even people that are, quote, unquote, my team aren't always my team. You know, they're maybe they're my team in this piece or that in that piece. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe someone's disabled or, you know, maybe someone has you know a different race or something else. So it's like there really is no my team no just right. you know straight down the road gay exactly like i am i am gay in the way i am and david is bisexual in the way he's bisexual which includes gay experiences and lesbian experiences and you know both sides of the fence basically mm-hmm. um so it, it's i think we're at this kind of crossroads where a lot of people are, are trying to figure the same thing out and like trying to figure out transgender and we've got transgender down now we're trying to figure out non-binary mm-hmm. and I hope that we keep moving forward in that direction because it's, it's to me it's an amazing and wonderful thing how weird and complex and and, and diverse humanity is and that we're not really all just binary we're not just female we're not just cisgender we're not just you know heteronormative yeah so it takes a while to get used to that especially if you're not a part of the community at all but I hope that we are still even in this strange period of time that we're in moving toward that. I, I couldn't have said it better myself. I think you're absolutely right. And I think, and, and doesn't that just make the world more interesting? Especially. Yes, and I mean, as a writer, look at all the yeah. stuff it gives us to write. You know? That's exactly, I mean, that's exactly, that is, I think, by far the one, the number one reason I wanted to start this podcast is that speculative fiction, whether it's sci-fi, fantasy, horror, you know, paranormal, whatever it is, is always more fascinating to me the more diverse it is no matter where that diversity is coming from the more intersectional it is the better the more i love it right and i struggle with that in my own writing 
but I'm I'm wanting to get better with it and I want and I think we all should I think that you know it should reflect the world around us and if and if your world is only cisgender you know white um, you know hetero whatever if, if it's all of those typical mainstream things that we think of when we think of media then that maybe you should expand your horizons by at least by reading more of it or watching more that isn't that way um, and thank God there's more options now than there were than there were just even 10 years ago. Exactly. And then, you know, I will never write a bisexual character to the level that someone who's bisexual like you will write a bisexual character. Yeah. But I think even, you know, as a, as a gay, gay cisgender male author, I have a responsibility to try to write different things. And we, we need to promote that, but we also need to promote the own voices movement of people saying, you know, look, this is my community. I'm going to stand up and I'm going to write about it. So I think both things are very important in kind of moving forward in understanding of each other. Yeah, definitely. And and I think my next goal is to um, be more accepting of my own queerness in that I, I want to write a female bisexual character who's in a relationship with a cisgendered man. Because mm. you, don't, you don't see that upheld as like, here is a queer book. And it is. You know, um, my relationship is a queer relationship. It is not. Let let let, let me be for perfectly clear. I have such a heaping helping of privilege with that, you know, um, that I'm not ignoring. <laughs> yes. But also, yeah. let's talk about this from really. This is far more mainstream than maybe you think it is, and I want to talk about that that balance of of me walking down that line. Is my is my struggle the same as maybe what you and your husband have gone through? Hell no. Hell no. But it's valid. And it's it's a different kind of, of for me to tell my story the way I want to tell it is different from the way you would tell your story or the way that you would tell my story or I would tell yours. And and there's room for all of that, you know? So Right and and I and you know it's really easy for someone like me to be able to look at someone like you and say, Oh, that's just another heterosexual marriage. Yeah, absolutely. And yet, you know, again there's I've, I've learned a lot of the last few years from a lot of people. I know a number of people that are in the same shoes that you're in. And, you know, that's you're, you're no less a valid part of the queer community than I am. The thing is, is that when I got married, I thought I was in a heterosexual relationship. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. So uh, you kind of you really, move your column over a little bit afterwards. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I but that also came from better education on my part, um, better understanding of what my attractions and what my romantic history meant for me. And, sure. and, you know, um, and it, it doesn't, it does not affect my relationship with my husband at all. Um, so there's that too. So it, it's, but I would, yeah, you're absolutely right. Uh, I know a lot of women that are in the same boat I am that have recently gone, oh, wait, I'm part of this too. Oh, I didn't realize I was bisexual because the way that it's, it's portrayed and we're not at all in some cases and, right. um, and, and struggle with, um, feeling like we're in, uh, allowed to claim that identity and and I'm I'm allowed you know it doesn't and I'm not going to ever stand up and be like my voice is more important than yours Scott and you and your husband <laughs> need to take a seat I'm not going to say that but I have a voice too and and yeah so that's why I'm I'm so glad that you know um queer sci-fi does exist I make a lot of jokes all the time about how you stole my name I can't use it but you didn't steal my name <laughs> I mean, I think there's room for both and I think that's what's great about it you know and there's room for Jeff and Will's big gay fiction podcast which is also one of my faves you know um and right. I did and I did um had Heather Rose Jones on here from the lesbian I'm gonna get her name wrong the lesbian historic motif podcast 
Mm-hmm. It's got the word motif in it. I love it. Um, you know, yeah. there's room, but there's room yeah. for... She's awesome. Yeah, but there's room for all of that and how great it is that, like you said, even in this weird time that we're in, that, you know, we, we all have this platform and I know so many more gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgender, you know, bin- non-binary, whatever. I know more people under the queer umbrella now than I ever have in my life. And that part's really cool. Yeah, I'd say there's not only more, just enough room for them, but I'd say actually that being that they all exist and all work together actually makes all of them stronger. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> this has been a really good chat. Before we before we sign off, I don't want to get too long-winded on our, on our listeners, but sure. why don't you tell us um, what uh, queer science fiction you've been reading recently that you absolutely loved? Oh, see, that's my weak spot. I, I have very little time for reading anymore. Um, I've been buying a lot of course sci-fi. <laughs> what did you buy that you're really excited about reading? Um, well, so I've got um, a couple books of Angel Martinez's that I've been um, had on my shelf. There's one actually she just finished that I'm supposed to be reading as soon as I get it, which is coming out on the 22nd, called Yule Planet. It's her uh, Christmas uh, book. Now, the last one I read of hers, did you read the um, Safety Protocols for Human Holidays that she did? No, I, no, I haven't. So it was it was hilarious. It was this um, alien space station and this alien, quote unquote, woman, because she's an alien race, but she's basically identifies in a fem- female way, um, who has this crush on this one human woman who works on the base. And she's trying to figure out how to help her celebrate her human holiday, which is Christmas, and figuring out all the um, kind of ins and outs of Christmas and how it works from an alien point of view looking through a database. And the end result is just basically hilarious and sweet and a little sad. And it was just funny. Um, so that was that was probably one of my, my most recent reads that I really, really liked to hers. That sounds um, really good. Yeah, I've got one of them that's not queer, but it's um, – have you ever read any of Peter, uh, Peter F. Hamilton's stuff? Mm-mm. So he did the Commonwealth Worlds um, where the idea was they basically carried these gates to far planets. And once the gate was there, you could turn it on and then run something from one world to another through the gate. And so the whole – like universe is connected or, or um, empire is connected by uh, trains. So you send something from Earth to, to Mars by a train through the gate, which I thought was one of the coolest ideas ever. And he's got one of his new, uh, his latest ones that came out this last year that's been sitting in my uh, Kindle waiting to be read. So if and when I ever get some more reading time. Yeah. Right, right. <laughs> yep. You're like, have you read yep. this? Have you read this? No. Like. No, I, uh, 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 uh. I know. we all have our kind of little pools we swim in too, you know, so. Well, yeah. And it's, and it, like one of the things I should be reading is a, uh, is a manuscript of F.T. Lugans that I can't even talk about cause it's not even out on sub yet. And, uh, that's just like, I'm beta reading it. And I'm like, that's what I read is like, I beta read for friends. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I've got one um, for Pat Henshaw. has got, got a new standalone uh, book she's a romance she's working on. It, um, she's been a great beta reader for me. So I said, yeah, yeah, I'll beta read it for you. Yeah, yeah. in <laughs> so between everything else, for that. right, yeah. Exactly, exactly. It's but yeah, Peter, Peter Pamela, if you like, if you like, like the epic sci-fi, he's really, really good. Yeah, okay, okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm trying to just, I'm trying to read more, read more widely, you know, but you get, like you said, you get stuck in your own little corner and you, and then you get writing something and you're either researching or you're writing and it, and Where's the time go? The time gun I have like five jobs. I always always joke that my side hustles have side hustles. <laughs> yes, ours too. Yeah. Oh yeah, you definitely do. You have a lot going on. Because yeah, you've also got we like... so we talked about queer sci fi, but you also have Queer Romance Inc., which is right. the for the romance crowd. So if you like even the intersection of those two things, there's a lot of those titles on there. And then you're also doing um 
are you are you still doing the marketing? Um, the yeah, yes, we do. The, we have Other Worlds Inc., which is um, basically blog tours, and it's also kind of my own personal publishing arm when I do my, my own stuff. Um, we have a new thing we're working on called uh, Liminal Fiction, which is going to be basically a non-queer site, but it's going to be a very queer positive site um, for sci-fi, fantasy, paranormal, etc. And um, that's basically just a Facebook community I'm starting right now, but it's going to branch out to be a lot of other things, hopefully later down the road. Um, but then beyond that, we have a regular job where we have a travel directory, a wedding directory, a real estate directory, all for the queer community, um, and a web design company. And so we've got like, you know, I don't know, 10 different things going on. And nine, and 90% of them are super gay. I love it. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. And, and the, <laughs> like I said, the ones, the ones that aren't are very, very gay friendly. Yes, yes, definitely. Well, it's as it should be. Um, well, it's been so much fun talking with you. We we can obviously just talk each other's ear off uh, for minutes on end. Probably could go longer, but I know we both have lots to do. But I want to thank you so much for being on my podcast and uh, – Hopefully someone will catch some of your books as a result of this, or maybe even join the queer sci-fi group on Facebook. That's awesome. Yeah. my website's uh, jscottcoatsworth.com. Uh, coats like uh, the coats you wear and worth like how much is it worth? And you can see all my stuff there. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. It was great. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Buy Sci-Fi. Um, I'll be back in February with two more great new guests. Um, and if you'd like to find out more, you can check us out online. We're on Twitter at Buy Sci-Fi. I'm your host, Carrie Pack, and we'll catch you next time. You've been listening to the Buy Sci-Fi podcast. Find us online at buysci-fi podcast.wordpress.com and on Twitter at buysci-fi.